And so we are um, talking about these seven deadly sins. Of course, when I'm talking about the seven deadly sins, all sins are deadly, right? There's not like if you die in these sins, there's no forgiveness for you. I don't believe that, right? Jesus is powerful enough to save from anything because Jesus is bigger than all those things. But there are seven particular sins throughout church history that we've looked at and said these sins are so insidious that they, they bring the, all kinds of destruction in people's lives and in culture and all kinds of things. And so the church has, has looked at these and said these are very, very dangerous. And they are also very, very common. So that's why we're going through and talk about them. Now, because we are an overachieving church, you know, we decide we're going to do seven deadly sins in six weeks to take that sin and so today we get to talk about two of them, and uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, we're going to talk about greed, and we're going to talk about gluttony, and our memory verse for today is Ecclesiastes 6-7, it says this, all man's efforts are for his mouth, yet his appetite is never satisfied. Isn't that true? That's what we get to talk about today. We live in a consumeristic culture. Have you ever heard that? I mean, even those who are not believers... Right? If those that are, that are inside of uh, the, you know, talk about economics and all that kind of stuff on the news and all those things, they say we are a consumer-driven society. Not just our economy is consumer-driven, we are a consumer-driven society. All man's efforts are for his mouth, yet his appetite's never satisfied. I think we find that in our culture, while we are consumer-driven, and there are some benefits that we receive to that. We get a lot of tasty things. There is an emptiness that a lot of people walk around with. There is a dissatisfaction that they deal with daily. And Christ, he can cure it. And we get to talk about that today. But first, let's talk about, let's talk about the difficult things, the gluttony and the greed. Now, let's first remember this, that before we get quick to judge other people about who's a glutton. Let's remember this, that Jesus was accused of being a glutton, right? He was compared to be a glutton and a drunkard because people looked at what he did in his lifestyle and they said, you are gluttonous, right? Because he didn't fit their stand, what they thought righteousness should be because they had a misunderstanding of what righteousness was all about. Today, when we talk about gluttony and greed, it's not about focusing on the person outside of there because, let's be honest, none of us have that great of, of, uh, of righteous vision, right? I can see through all things and know your heart and know that this is for you. We talk about gluttony and greed, look into your life, right? Where is it? Do you, do you have a sickness there that needs to be rooted out? Is there a poison that you've taken that needs to be addressed? And see, uh, it's okay in this world. I'm not saying that we should be ascetic and we should all go live up on the mountains on poles or whatever and have people bring us buckets of water and bread and just live there without anything, right? That's not what this is a call to. That's not holy living. That's crazy living, right? There are good things and God gives us good things to enjoy. Today, we're not talking about just kicking away the good things. We're saying, where do we find our satisfaction? How do we have a healthy relationship with the things that God has made? And so it's going to be an introspective. Today's message is going to require you to look to the inside, to be asking some questions and asking the Holy Spirit to, to kind of uh, bring you some clarity as to have I bought into a con- consumer culture? And to what level? And, and do I have a healthy understanding and, and relationship with the things God made? So it's important that we, we start with that. Now, uh, gluttony and greed... The reason I put them together is that they're both perversions of our enjoyment of this world. So they're very similar sins. They just have, they have a common root. 
They, they misunderstand what God made this world for, and so they, they misattach to this world. And so because of that, they, they, they kind of uh, they look a little different, but really, at the heart of it, it's really a worship of this world versus the worship of God. And so we decided to bring them together. Gluttony, on one side, it seeks uh, to fulfillment and pleasure, Right? When I'm gluttonous, I'm overdoing it, and I'm getting as much as I can, thinking that, that, uh, that if I just have a little bit more, I will be satisfied. But all of man's efforts are for his mouth, yet his appetite is never satisfied, which is why gluttony ends up killing us with good things, doesn't it? Or we go to the other side, and we have greed, and greed finds fulfillment in, the, in things. And we can be greedy for all kinds of stuff. It doesn't just have to be money, but typically, <laughs> that's how it Reaches out. In fact, Jesus even talked about there was a there was a, a battle between his kingdom and those that were part of the, the kingdom of greed. And he said, You can't serve two masters. And so we have one where gluttony says, I, I'm gonna find fulfillment and satisfaction in, in 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 pleasure, and the other one says, I'm gonna find satisfaction in things. Today we're gonna look at the consequences of gluttony and greed, and also how Christ addresses that. How can he cure these things? So, gluttony and greed, first we realize that they lead to destruction and shame. If we want to begin with, we have to say they're bad, right? And so if you have your Bible, I'm not, it's not just me that's saying that. Actually, um, the Word actually talks about this. If you have your Bible, turn it to Philippians chapter 3. And uh, if you have one of our Bibles, that's going to be on page 820. If you don't have a Bible, please uh, use one of ours. We have a whole bunch of them on that bookshelf back there and then cases of them in the back. And if you need a Bible, just keep it our gift to you. Okay, and if you're one of our Bibles, it looks like you're turning to Philippians 4 because it's at the very end of Philippians 3. We'll be starting to read on verse 17. And this is what Paul writes. He says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For I have often told you before, and now I tell you again, even with tears. Many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. It's a powerful verse, isn't it? You see that, that line there in verse 19? Their destiny is destruction. This is one of those times that you might want to mark your Bible, underline that, because I think we forget this, doesn't it? <laughs> destruction. It's no small thing to be messing with this sin. First thing we want to find out is that these things are really, really important. Look at verse 17 and 18. He says, that, uh, he says, you know what? Follow our example. And follow the example of other people that are living this way. How you live doesn't affect just you, does it? See, as believers, we need to live a different kind of life. We have to have a different kind of, of relationship with things than the people of this world do. How on earth are they going to know that there's a satisfaction that actually satisfies if we're not living it? How we live matters, and we encourage one another. Others are watching. But also do you see here that Paul, he says this, 
He says, for I have often told you before in verse 18 and now tell you again, even with tears. Paul is not kidding. This is not light stuff. This is not trivial. It's not like, hey, uh, if you want to listen to this, that's great. If not, no big deal. This is really, really important. Because if we don't listen to this, what is, what is he warning us with tears? That many live as enemies of the cross. What does it mean to live as an enemy of the cross? I mean, certainly it's not anything that we want to do. We just took communion. We just remembered the cross. We just celebrated its, its ability. Christ went to that cross to die for our sins, and because he died for our sins, we have the ability to approach God and that we can live. How is it that we would live as enemies of the cross? Well, Paul talks about it. He tells us straight up. First, he says their God is their stomach. All man's efforts are for his mouth. That's what he says. So we are motivated by worldly pleasures, aren't we? By the flesh. We're motivated by what we can get, by what we can, we can consume, by what we can absorb, right? That's what we're motivated by. Our God becomes our stomach. Think about if your God is your stomach, you're going to do what your stomach tells you to do, right? This is why we fast. This is why when Christ tells us some of the things that his followers will do, one of them will be too fast. And I know that in our culture, that seems like a foreign concept because we're like, if I fast, I'll get hungry. Yes! (laughs) That's the point. You need to follow Christ above your body. You need to follow Christ above your pleasures. You need to say, I'm living for something more real than this world because the reality is that there's a world coming that will last forever, but this one will pass away. God invites us out of this world, this thing that looks so real, and allows us to enter into the eternal today. But when our God is our stomach, we do things that obey our flesh. I want to feel good, and therefore I'm going to do this, not what God tells me to do. And so doing, I end up living as an enemy of the cross. Not only that, he says their glory is their shame. Nothing wrong with having glory, is there? Matter of fact, Scripture is like a pretty pro-glory book, if you read it. It says glory is pretty great, as long as it's the right glory for the right things. But if we're finding our prestige in the things that we have, we're finding prestige in greed, aren't we? (laughs) If I have a car and all of a sudden that's my status symbol, I have people recognize me by the car I drive, and that's how they're going to think about me, and that's what I want to put off, my glory... I'm glorying in the wrong things. I'll tell you, there's a God who is far more splendorous than a car or a suit or a new hairdo or makeup or clothes or any of those other things or where you live or any of that. If we shall be identified by anything, let it be by the God who's transforming us. But if we glory in any smaller thing, that is to our shame. It's telling the world that this world is actually worthy of living for. This world is not worthy of living for. This world is passing away. Do we understand that? To live as an enemy of the cross is to accept the forgiveness of Christ and the calling to eternity and then to continue to live for small things. Glory being your very shame. The things that you think you're most proud of are the very things that you should be ashamed of. Not that they are bad things in of themselves. The problem is is that you're finding glory in them. You should just enjoy them. But your glory comes from a much higher source. We should not live as enemies of the cross. Our mind cannot continue to be on earthly things. 
That's what he says. They live for earthly things. So our motivation, where are we finding our satisfaction? Where are we finding our security? Where are we finding our motivation for how we live and our lifestyle? Is it coming from God? Are we enjoying the things that he's given us or are we motivated just to have those things? That's the heart of the issue. The result of this, verse 17, that word you have circled, destruction. It's devastating, isn't it? Greed and gluttony lead to all kinds of destruction in our lives. First thing, it leads to physical destruction. Could be poor health, right? Think about when we over, not just overeat, when we overindulge in anything, right? There was a person that overindulged in water, right? And, and almost died. Like whenever we're finding something that we're trying to fill this void in our life with, it will lead to our destruction. It can hurt us physically. Not only that, but it also adds lots of stress. It's very hard to live in this world and to not have any kind of satisfaction and to keep trying to feed that need, right? Knowing that it's not working and thinking, if I just have a little bit more. How many people work themselves to death? They watch their families fall apart so that they can work a little bit more, thinking that if they just get that little bit more, that would be enough. Greed and gluttony destroy us physically, but not just there, emotionally too. There is an insecurity in this life. If I really feel like my satisfaction is going to come from things, and we know how volatile having things are, Do you remember 2008? I mean, that was a while ago, right? But it was a panic for a lot of people. Do you remember the the, the fire in 2013 where people had their homes and everything they owned was gone in an instant? Good people. Or that flood that happened right after that? Do you know what happened? Is those things passed away, but the people didn't. And if you talk to them today, there's still purpose in life. There's still joy. You know, there's still love. The things to live for didn't really pass away, but at the moment, boy, it sure felt like that. I'll tell you what, in an instant, all of us could lose everything we own. Look at the millions and millions of people that are refugees in the Middle East. You know, many of those came from middle-class families, just had jobs, families, neighborhoods, like you and me. And then something happened beyond their control. Now they lose it all. Things cannot be trusted. They can be enjoyed. But we can't trust in them. And because we know this, when we, when we try to find our security in the things that we have, we live with a, a level of, of insecurity, don't we? We're always afraid of what if I lose this thing? What if it's stolen? What if it breaks? What if it's taken? What if it goes away? Jesus said, you know what? Don't be foolish. Don't store up your treasures on earth where where rust and and moth can destroy it, where thieves can come in to steal it. It's not a right way of living. But when we begin to to have lust and and, greed and and, and gluttony in our life, we live with, with emotional insecurity. And that can lead to despair when when our things go away or they disappear or they break or we don't get the things that we think that we want or that we think that we need. You know, but also it leads to spiritual destruction, doesn't it? Because when we make something else a God, it hurts our relationship with the real God. Because here's one thing about God is he's not going to to allow us to, to worship him in anything else. 
And before we start to judge God on that, how insecure is he? Think about this. If you're married, how happy would you be if your spouse said, hey, you know what? Um, I'm going to just marry this other guy too, or this other gal, or I'm going to go on dates with them. And you know what? You're so insecure that you would want me to be faithful. It's ridiculous. Our God says, be faithful. And it says here that those of us who live with gluttony and greed, our God is our stomach. It is idolatry. It is nothing short of idolatry. And Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You'll end up loving one and hating the other. You can't serve both God and money. So at the heart of all of this, the biggest thing is there is a spiritual there's a spiritual death or destruction that greed and, and gluttony can lead us to. It's dam- damaging stuff. Look what it says in Ephesians 5, 5. It says, For this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of, of Christ and of God. Scripture's not kidding around here. God is not going to be, he's not happy or open to the fact that he's going to allow us to, to worship our things and him. It is idolatry and we need to be called out for what it is, which is why we need to be very introspective in our lives and say, who is really sitting on the throne of my life? What does my life revolve around? No immoral, impure, or greedy person. It's interesting that greed is in there because it's an issue of worship. It's an issue of lordship. And I'll tell you that as we as Christians live in a a consumer culture, this is probably one of the easiest pills for us to swallow is that of greed and gluttony, isn't it? And to begin buying into the lie that is so abundant around us that if we just have enough of these things, we'll be happy. But I'll tell you, it will never satisfy. Only God satisfies. And only God deserves to have that place in our life that everything revolves around. 1 Timothy 6 says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. This is addressed to us, Christian, people who are in the faith. We're not immune to to this, this type of poison, are we? And we have seen it, haven't we? And people who have come and they said, You know what, God? I would rather have things than you. I would rather have the temporary pleasures of this life versus the the pleasures that you promised some far time off in the future. They wander from the faith, pierce themselves with many griefs. And isn't it true? Because when we begin living for these things that can't satisfy, not only do we have all of the pain, the, the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual destruction in our lives, right? But then we're also just, we don't know why. We go after everything that our world says, if you buy this product, if you live this way, if you have this kind of house, if you do all these things, you'll be happy. And we have those things, and we're not happy. We pierce ourselves with many griefs. There's a better way. And that's what Christ calls us to. There is a better way to live. Aren't you happy for that? Jesus cures gluttony and greed, and he does it with temperance and generosity. So if you have your Bible, let's turn it to Matthew chapter 6. Those are familiar with the Bible, it's, uh, Matthew is a gospel. It's a story of Jesus' life from one of those that was with him, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's on page 679 if you have one of our Bibles. We're going to be starting on verse 25. And he says here, 
Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Now look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. That is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. Isn't a powerful passage totally transforming the way that we think about life? This world is too small to satisfy. I think that's one of the things that we find in that passage. Why are you worrying about this? Don't worry about what you're going to eat and drink and all these types of things. This world is more than things. Did you see that? Isn't the world so much more than these things, Jesus says? And it is. We are called to live for the better things, the bigger things. The world was never designed to satisfy. Remember that God created this world, and when he created this world, he walked in it with Adam and Eve. There was something in this world that that is a beautiful place. It was a paradise, broken now, but still pretty nice in a lot of areas. There are a lot of good things still left in this world, but this world, even in perfection, was not designed to satisfy. Only God satisfies That's how it was by design. And even if the world in its perfection couldn't satisfy, how much less this broken world? You know, I think also we understand that this world, why worry about what you're going to eat and drink and all this? It says the pagans rush about. That's what occupies their minds, right? It's what they're worried about all of the time. This world is so unstable, we can't even, we we can't count on the very things that we think of that are necessary. We have no idea. And so it leads to all that trouble. And so Jesus invites us. He says, set your sights on something better. That's where it begins with. He says, we live for the kingdom and not for this world. And you enjoy this world, but don't live for it. This world is here today and gone tomorrow. Do you see how he talked about the, the grass of the fields and all that? He says, you know, look at the grass of the fields. Right? Didn't God clothe them, even though they're only here today and gone tomorrow? There's a temporariness to this world. Its very nature is not meant to, to endure. But you will. And, and God does. God is eternal. And he's not going anywhere. So if we're going to place our hope in anything, let's not place our hope in something that is so temporary, that just changes, is here today and is gone tomorrow. But we can enjoy this world. He didn't badmouth Solomon for being dressed in really cool clothes. He said there's more to life than that. So let's live for this. 
So if we're going to be greedy, let's be greedy for the kingdom, right? That's what he says. You know what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If we're going to be greedy, let's be greedy for the kingdom. That's how we should be greedy. If we're going to be gluttonous, let's be gluttonous with righteousness. Let's fill our lives with the good things of God. Then he says, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, guess what God will do? He'll give you everything you need. And guess what? He already knows what you need before you ask. What a great thing. Because oftentimes we don't even know what we're going to need because we, don't, we haven't lived tomorrow yet. And so we're going to have needs tomorrow that we still aren't aware of. But God's aware of them and he's already preparing to meet them. God is awesome. But we need to be following him. God will not provide our needs if we are not treating him as our God. If he says, if your stomach is your God, let's see how well your stomach provides for your needs. So let's be greedy for the kingdom. Let's be gluttonous for righteousness. Let's allow God to meet our needs so that we can live a full life, a satisfied life, an amazing life in this world. That's what we get to be called for. Another thing he talks about, he says, be generous. You know, it's that's the verses right before we started, starting in verse 19. Jesus is, uh, he's, he's having a little chat. And he says, therefore, uh, anyone who sets aside even the least of these commandments that teaches others uh, accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees of the law, you certainly will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then it said that you have heard it said that the people long ago you shall not murder and that uh, you're not supposed to, uh, the one who murders be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister is subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is now uh, answerable to court, but anyone who says you fool will be danger to the fire of hell. Therefore, uh, if you are offering a gift at the altar and therefore... Remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave the gift there in front of the altar and then go first and reconcile to them and then come and, and offer your gift. And see, God tells us that there is something that is part of us that we need to make sure that we are not just, uh, we're not just living for these things, right? It's not like I'm going to buy God off, right? I'm not going to say, hey, God, I have things and God's so impressed with things. He made all of this stuff. In fact, he just spoke it to existence, right? So he could speak anything he wants. He's like, you know, platinum boat, boom, platinum boat, and it would sink. And be like, that was a bad idea, right? God could do anything he wants. Speak it. He, you're not going to be impressed with what we offer him of things. He's going to be impressed with the offering of our heart. So he tells us, I want you to be able to have a right relationship with this world, and it starts with the right relationship with him, recognizing that he's got a higher standard of righteousness and he calls us to this righteousness and he says, listen, if you, want to be, if you want to be great in the kingdom, stop acting like a king. Recognize that God is a king and start serving one another and that means this, when you have something that, you know, that God wants you to do, don't think that you can just buy him off. God is not greedy like we are. But go and to make things right. There's a generosity of spirit that the Christian has that is so different than the way that this world thinks of it, right? It starts with an impoverishment of the very soul. It says, Jesus said that blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Doesn't he begin with this? To recognize that ultimately, we have nothing that we can give to God that will really impress him. But he calls us anyway, and he says, but I want you to be pure in heart. I want you to be, to be true to me. And in that, he will give us an enormous amount of wealth and meet every need. 
So that way we can give to others, not because we've earned these things, but because God continues to bless us for that purpose. It's a change of how we see things and how we live. I think there's another time that Jesus warns us. He says, you know, don't be a slave to money. Or he says, you know what, if you, if you make uh, money your, your master, you know, you're, you're going to serve it. You can make God your master or money your master. Don't make money your master. <laughs> you can't serve both. There's another thing that we're supposed to recognize is that the money and the things that we have, not only, not only to use them to try to manipulate God to get what we want, but we're not supposed to just serve them, follow our, our wallets and serve our bank accounts and say, whatever's best for my bank account, that's what I'm going to do. God says this, do what's best for the kingdom. Do what's best for righteousness. Make your money and your things and your life serve God. Seek his kingdom as righteousness first. Right? When I do that, in our church, when we have a financial team and they meet every quarter and they help us every month, we look through what we've spent, and, and their task is this, that we want to invest God's resources and God's priorities. That's what we do. So when you make an offering, that's where it goes. And it goes to say, are we spending, are we investing God's resources and his priorities? Well, it's not just the church that does that. You are a resource of God's. And everything you own is God's. Are you living in such a way that you are investing God's resources and his priorities? That's seeking first the kingdom. That's seeking first his righteousness. It's a different way of living, and it's a different kind of life that allows me to have a different kind of generosity. Because when I think that I'm giving something of mine away, it's kind of painful, isn't it? If I have something, I have two of those wonderful, delicious honey sticks. You ever have those? Those are awesome. And if I only have two and you come by and you're hungry and I'm going to give you one of my honey sticks, that's an act of love, right? And it's like pain. I was like, oh, this is my honey stick and I'm going to give you one of them, right? Or maybe two if you're really hungry, right? And that's like a real sacrifice. But what if I realize that I didn't make the honey sticks? And then I've got a God, if he wants me to have them, he could give me more. But what if I was there and God says, you know, I'm going to give you two honey sticks and you're going to find somebody that's hungry, you give it to them. And then I find you and I give you the honey sticks, it's not so painful, is it? Because I know where the source of those is. If I need them, God will give them to me. We recognize that we simply are his asset managers. And what a fun job that is because our God is a gracious God and it is fun to bless other people and to show his love. So we foster a wealthy mindset, not a mindset that says, I don't have enough to help. It says, listen, God has given me this. How am I investing my life in what I have in his kingdom? It's a great thing. It's a different way of living. And so as we bring this, uh, this, this thing to a conclusion, I'll say this. The gluttony and greed are idolatry. I think we've got to understand this, that we cannot play around with gluttony and greed. We live in a culture that says it's actually a good thing to be gluttonous and greedy. That's what the, the advertisers spend millions of dollars telling you, right? Eat more of this, spend more on this, go on these things. You need this to be, to be healthy. In fact, we are told by our economists, be gluttonous and be greedy. Go out and spend more. If you don't do your part, we're all going to go broke, right? Our whole economy seems to be built around this. Don't buy the lie. You will never buy your way into satisfaction. It is idolatry. We need to make sure that if our life is going to revolve around anything, it is not around our things, right? It is not around our desire for things. It has to be around God. So that's our priorities. It's how we live our life. It's our schedules. But gluttony and greed have to be called what they are. They are straight-up idolatry. Next thing I think we have to realize is only God satisfies. Believe it. Only God satisfies. 
you're not going to find satisfaction in anything else. Right? For the efforts of all men, right? It's for our mouth. But our appetites are never satisfied, and we can see it as true. If you want to step away from the rat race and into the peace of God, you have to begin focusing on the right things. Recognize that God can and will satisfy you, but you have to seek him and his kingdom and his righteousness. That's what you need to do. You need to serve him like he's actually your God, right? You have to actually believe your life has to look like you actually believe what what we proclaim with our lips, that he really is God, that he really cares for you, that he really loves you, and he's really going to come through. Does that take faith? Absolutely. Talk to a man named uh, Abraham someday. We'll get up into heaven, right? He had certain things that he thought that he needed, and God says, I want you to go, and, and I'm going to grant, grant you those things in, a, in abundance, right? But you're going to have to move, even though you're old and everybody's going to think you're crazy. And he did it anyway. And it was credited him as righteousness and great things, and you know, even to this day we name kids and stuff after Abraham, right? God calls us out of the boat. He calls us out of our home country. He calls us out of the comfort zone. He says, trust me. Our world, our culture says, don't trust God. Trust in yourself. Work hard. Get your things. That's all you need to do. If you have those things, you'll be happy. But realize that God can and will satisfy you, and it will take an act of faith, which is one of the reasons why, Christians, we give away the first 10% that we get, right? That's why we do it. As I say, it's not the things that matter. It is God first, and God is the one who satisfies. That's why. It's a refocusing and a reminder of who he is. It's a trust in God. So seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek it. Go after it hard. I mean, if you, if you want to pursue something in life, seek God's kingdom. See, his will be done on this earth as it was in heaven. That's what it means when we die to ourselves and we're born again in Christ and we said, I'm, it's no longer my way but God's way. That's what it means when he says he is our Lord. Live like it. Invest in his kingdom. Build his kingdom. It will be uncomfortable at times. It will cost you sometimes, but God will satisfy. So seek his kingdom. Seek his righteousness. Say to God, yes, whatever you want, that's what I want in my life. And in the meantime, as I grow in that process, I'm grateful for your grace. But I'm still pursuing you. Another thing is to generously invest in God's kingdom. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Is that what he said? So don't shore up your treasures here on this earth where, where, where moth and rust and all these other things will, can destroy. There's thieves will come in and steal. He said, instead, store up your treasures in heaven. Well, you don't have to worry about any of those other things. Because then he said, because where your treasure is, your heart is. And I tell you what, God cares way more about your heart than he does about your treasure. He really does. So start investing in the kingdom. Generously. And how do I do it generously? Is it just the volume that I give? No, there's a great story that Jesus had. He, he, had this, uh, he was sitting out there by the temple and they had these, these areas where people could make their donations for, for the poor, right? And, and these big old brass things that people would put their money in. Back then they used coins. And so clink, 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 clink. And then these people would walk by with their bags of money and they would pour it in there would make lots of noise. Clink, 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 And we'd say, well, that's a generous person, right? And then there comes along this little old gal, right, who's a widow, hardly has anything, just two pennies to rub against each other. And she's like, ah, oh, and she drops them in to the, to the offering things just tink tink and he stops everybody and says look at her now imagine that was a lock word for her and he says do you see that I tell you the truth that she has given more than any of the others because they gave out of their their wealth while she gave out of her poverty she sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trusted God to meet her needs 
It's not an issue of volume, it's an issue of heart. It's an issue of are we putting God first, are we seeking God's kingdom first, his righteousness first above all else. When we do that, we can trust him to keep his promise. He'll meet our needs. When we're soaring wealth in heaven, there are great things that happen, but generously invest in his kingdom. That's be an issue of the heart. So we need to make that, that commitment. So as we, we begin to wrap this particular message up, and I, I would have you take out your connection card because there are some next steps that I'm going to challenge you to take this next week of how to apply that. Because the last thing you want to do is go to God's word and be convicted and be like, oh, that's great, and then not do anything about it because then it just fades away. And it says it's like a person going to uh, a mirror and looking in it and then seeing that you know, they've got mayonnaise smeared all over their face and then they, they turn away from the mirror and they forget that they have mayonnaise smeared all over their face and they didn't do anything about it. It's like worthless. What we want to do is we want to make sure we're going to God's word and we see something and then we take action. So here's some, uh, some opportunities, some things that you can do some next steps walking in righteousness. The first is to memorize Ecclesiastes 6-7. Why? Because we're going to be tempted. We're going to leave here today, and you're going to turn on the radio or the TV. You're going to go to a, a restaurant or something, right? And there are going to be advertisements. There are going to be things that are there. They're going to say, listen, get this. You'll be satisfied. It's going to be powerful to you to know and to memorize and to remember the truth of God's word that all of our efforts may be before our mouth, but our appetites are never satisfied. That it's okay to enjoy that thing, but man, don't, don't buy the lie that somehow it's going to make me my life right. <laughs> Memorize it. Let God's word be a shield and a guard so we don't fall into this. Next thing that you might want to do is you might want to read Philippians. Why? Because it talks about how we're living a life, how investing your life as a church. How are we investing our lives in God's kingdom? What does that look like? Philippians is a great book to go to. I invite you to read it this week. How about this? Maybe for you, you need to fast and pray. That's the temperance portion of it. It's saying no to myself so I can say yes to the kingdom. You don't always have to fast. I mean, like Jesus didn't fast forever. People accuse him of being a glutton. But there are times regularly where he said no to me so I can say yes to God. He set an example for us. If he himself, who is God, could do that, how much more should we? So here's the thing. If you're feeling um, like you are dissatisfied, you are feeling uh, maybe depressed or frustrated with the things of this world, I invite you this week to take a day and to fast and to pray. You don't just fast, but the first day when you fast, by the way, it's all you think about is food, which is a great thing because that first day when all you're thinking about food is you remind yourself that there's something more than this life. There is a day where you will eat no more food. That day is coming. It comes for all of us. But after that day, you will still exist. And you will still be satisfied. It's a time to remember that you have control over this body and you can tell it what to do, not the other way around. So this week, maybe what you do is you fast and you pray and take that day as you feel the hunger and you say, God, not my kingdom. Let me be hungry for your kingdom. What is out there? What is your kingdom? What do you want me to do in my life? Take that time. Let the hunger pains remind you to talk to him. Or maybe for you, maybe you need to tithe. I tell you, for Amy and me, this was a, um, it was a difficult thing because I grew up Catholic, so I had a lot of guilt going on. Um, you know, the whole idea about tithing and whatnot. And um, so we got married, and we started coming to our church, and, and the whole idea just wasn't part of my life. I just, like, if we gave, we gave because we felt bad, right? I, I need to give something this week because I hadn't before. So it was like giving the pastor a tip. Like, good sermon today, Scott. And I would give him a tip. And uh, that's how I worked. And then... Um, and then we found a better way. And uh, it was through being discipled 
that we discover, you know, listen, we need to want to give to God, not because it makes him like us better, uh, because it begins to free us from our, our things. So, so Scott challenged my other senior pastors before me. He said, listen, just give regularly. Give, give what you have. So what we would do, Amy and I said, whatever, in, whatever we have on us on Sunday, that's what we're going to give which was really helpful like the first three or four times we did it. Then afterwards, we recognized that, at least me, not Amy so much, but I would empty my pockets on Saturday night, you know, just forgetting what was going to happen Sunday. And I realized that my heart wasn't right. And so then we were challenged, let's give regularly, let's give proportionally. So we started, and we at the time were very, didn't have a lot of money. <laughs> so we started, we couldn't fit 10% in our budget. We, I imagine if we did, God would have taken care of us. But at the time, we didn't have the faith for it. So we started with just 1%, and we did. And then we would write out a check, and then we would forget the checks, right? And then so we would bring them all at once, and then they would empty out our bank account. And it was like a catastrophe when it happened. But we would try that, and then we were 2%, and then 3%, and then 4%, and then you know, 5%, and then 7%. We skipped 6 because it was evil, right? <laughs> we moved up, and eventually we were able to tithe, and then beyond that, uh, give regularly, give proportionally. God has given us the ability, not just the ability to be generous, but given us a heart for generosity. And it's a joy. And so what we did in our, actually the church did this for Amy and me. It was more for me because we wouldn't forget our checks. Is we, We'd signed up the electronic giving so we could give regularly because that's when we get paid. Um, and you're welcome to use that. But what it is, is saying wherever you are in your life, invest in God's kingdom. That's the idea. It's not the amount. It's not the percentage. It's the heart. Are you saying to God, you first? And when I tell you my story is this, wherever you're at, you can take a step of faith. And so if right now, if that's where you're at, I want you to know this is not about guilt. I'm not up here telling you. I'm saying free yourself. Free yourself. from a person who's actually walked through that, free yourself. And it's amazing how God brings peace and how he gives you your desires, how he gives you your needs. God is amazing. So whatever your commitment is, I encourage you to make that. And um, uh, in just a minute, we'll take our offering. Put this in the offering basket. If you have another commitment to make, please let us know about that. Um, if uh, That would be good. There's one other commitment that I want to talk about this morning before I, I wrap this up. Is this? If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right? if, you, if you're trying in this life and you're feeling unsatisfied, there's a reason that you're here this morning. Right? There's a God who loves you. And if what I'm talking about, having satisfaction, having peace, having a God that cares for you, it piques your interest, something that you feel like, I, I, I want that or I want to know more about it, this is what I want you to do. On this here, it says, I would like more information about starting a relationship with Jesus. And the reason I want you to do that is because I also want you to give me contact information. I'm not clairvoyant. So if you would let me know how to contact you, we'll talk about it. I'll explain to you. There's so much more, but what does it mean to follow Christ? Uh, what does that mean? I'll answer your questions and will help you take the steps of faith to follow him so that you can enjoy this great peace that we have. So if you're ready to make that too, um, make sure you, you mark that on your connection card. If you have a prayer request, please write it down. We do pray for you every week and we've seen God do awesome things. So please continue to allow us to do that. And here in just a second, we're going to take our offering. Before we do, I would like to pray for this. And then as we're taking the offering, I'm going to have uh, James Wall come and join me on stage because we're going to commission him on a really cool mission trip that he's going to be heading out on. So um, let's pray for our offering first. Heavenly Father, thank you for you. Thank you that you are more than enough because you are infinite. So you can fill all of our needs and then still continue to be infinite, not diminished even in the slightest. That's fascinating to me, God, but it's true and according to your nature. So thank you that we know that your love will never run out, that your wonderful supply for us and our needs will never run out, that you can actually satisfy. 
So, Father, I pray that as a church, that your Holy Spirit would awaken our eyes and our, and our senses, Father, to recognize the futility of living for this world. Free us from the bonds of that horrible master called things. And, Father, free us from our materialism so that we can cling to you, the God who takes care of not just our material things, but our spiritual well-being as well. God, let us find our life and our hope and our satisfaction in you. Let us be a church body as a family that represents this so well that we actually can be an encouragement to others. Father, I pray that you would help us with those things that you have blessed us with to enjoy them and enjoy them in the right way. To see them as your blessings, not as entitlement. As uh, signs of your love and your provision and your care for us. Father, if there are those of us today who have greed and gluttony on the throne of our hearts, I pray that you give us the courage to kick it out and to re-invite you to take that center place in our life. Lord, I pray that you would help us to put our lives in the right um, perspective, that we would have the right priorities. So, Father, do that work in us so that we can live for your kingdom and your righteousness. And, Father, in this we want your kingdom to be done and your will to be, to be in our lives and to be made real just like it was, is in heaven. And so, Father, these commitments that we make today, help us keep them in a way that honors you. Father, we also pray for our, our tithes and our offerings, Lord. We want to invest our resources according to your priorities. So I pray not only that you would bless them, but I pray that you would bless our staff and our finance team and our pastors, Father, that everything that we bring in materially will be used to build your kingdom according to your priorities. Grant us that so that you can receive glory. We ask in the wonderful and the powerful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.